just after noon on Sunday, June 13th, 2010, a small child trying to perform a sweet gesture for his mother had his life changed forever. Aiden Lewis, six years old at the time, snuck out of his house while his mother Nora napped inside. He wandered to the end of their yard, right up against the bank of Mill Creek to pick up some of the flowers that grew along the water's edge. After plucking a few, he looked up to see a figure, dark, shadowy, and alone, watching him from the other side of the creek. The boy had been warned about this figure, the Shadow Man. He'd been told to stay away, and more recently, to never leave his house alone, lest bad things happen. Aiden got scared and backed away from the bank, but at the same time, the shadowy figure backed away as well. It grabbed the nearest tree trunk and started climbing up, effortlessly fast, until it disappeared in the foliage of the forest. The child dropped his flowers and ran back inside, terrified the figure was going to follow him inside. He woke his mother from her nap and told her what had happened. By the time the police arrived to investigate, all that remained of the figure was a small patch of grass flattened at the base of the tree trunk. Welcome back to Strange Trails. I'm your host, Finn Mitchell. For Aiden, this moment set him on his path toward becoming a police officer. If this person terrorizing the town was still around, then he would work to stop them and keep everyone safe. More recently, he'd taken up volunteering with the police on weekends and during the summers. Being only 16, they kept him in the station filing paperwork, but he was excited to help in whatever way possible. Keith Wilson had originally mentioned him to us, and I'd added him to the list of people we should try to interview for the investigation. I wanted to know firsthand what his experience with Shadow Man was like. Unfortunately, with the way things branched out so quickly, he got bumped further down the list and I didn't get a chance to speak with him right away. That was until things changed and he became the most important person on the list. Omari, can you explain what's going on while I try to find this place? Okay. You got a text from Ava a little earlier that I think is going to ruin our plans for the day. About 20 minutes ago. So this just happened? Uh, she heard there's been another sighting of Shadow Man. Yeah, the kid was chased, and he escaped. So now we're driving across town and talking to him. But explain why it's interesting. What his name is. Aiden Lewis. Right, who is notably the kid that saw Shadow Man climb the tree. And now he's seen him again. Right, but this time he was actually followed. Oh shit, an ambulance. Oh. I wonder if they're going to Aiden's house. Hopefully not. We'll be able to talk to him if he's getting carted away. It was a short drive from there to the address Ava had sent me on Arrow Street. One of the many roads running parallel to Mill Creek, but the only one right along the bank. The first thing we noticed as we turned onto the street were the police cars and the same ambulance that had driven right past us moments earlier. The squad cars filled the street while the ambulance had pulled into a driveway. What happened? Is that Aiden's house? He's number 37 Arrow Street. Uh, oh, it's even numbers on this side. Okay, so he's fine at least. I wonder whose house that is. Oh, look! There's a woman over there on the lawn talking to the police. Okay, I'm gonna park here. I don't want to get in their way. Oh, hey, they've got one of those smart cameras installed up there. 
Give him a little wave. Oh, yo, look. They're rolling out a body over there. Oh, shit. That woman's crying now. It's gotta be her husband. Man, or her kid. Do you think of a shadow now? Uh, hi. Oh, hello. You must be Aiden. Um. Aiden is wearing gym clothes and drying his hair with a towel as he stares us down. I'm Finn Mitchell. This is Omari Mason. We're doing an investigation into Shadow Man, and we heard you just had an experience with him earlier today. I'm not supposed to be talking to anyone. My mom doesn't. We'll be really quick. I promise. How'd you hear about it already? People talk. You know what's going on over there? A couple of the cops were talking to me, and then they got a call on the radios about an overdose. The address they got was for the Finleys right across the street, so they wanted to check it out. Finley. Why do I recognize that name? Cameron Finley? Oh, we talked to him in the park, right? That's him. Or it was, I guess. Oh. Wow, he was the one smoking cigarettes and using nicotine patches, right? I'm not sure those were nicotine patches, knowing him. Oh, you know him? Not that well. He's like five years older than me or something. But you know, people talk. So you think it was drugs that did this? Didn't you have questions about Shadow Man? Now, are you feeling alright after everything that happened today? I'm fine, now. Did you want to explain what happened? Where you were when all this- I was in the forest, riding my bike. I like it more than being around town. You can kind of just keep going, where there are no stop signs anywhere. You didn't bring any friends with you? I did, my buddy Sean. Sean who? Hempill. Isn't it dangerous being out there alone? You can't use phones, right? We weren't that far out of town. We were actually heading back, and then this van careens past, coming behind out of nowhere. I just heard Sean yell, and then right as I looked behind me, there it was, almost Was on. it a white van? Yeah. So it's heading into town? Probably. But it came so close to me, I veered to the side to make sure it didn't hit me, and it went right off the road and crashed. I scraped my elbow pretty bad. You can't see it now because of the band-aids, but there's a lot of blood. Did you see who was driving the van? I don't know. It came and went so fast. I wonder why I was going that fast through there. Everyone goes fast on that road. There's no one around. Unless there's bikers. Usually there aren't. So you fell off the bike. Got up, realized my elbow was bleeding. Sean stopped to help me, but I told him I was fine. And that's when, oh no, something fell off. At first I thought it was just a feeling from the adrenaline from the crash. But then I started kind of like picking up on someone watching us, someone nearby. I should note at this point that Aiden's eyes were fairly bloodshot, and he seemed a little aloof. I didn't want to assume anything about what he'd been up to in the forest with his friend, or confront him on a recording, because certain recreational activities are still illegal in West Virginia. But I just want to provide a little context for how we viewed what Aiden was telling us. Something in my head told me it was Shadow Man. What made you think that? Just the way the wind moved through the trees. Why well, I couldn't feel any on my skin. And you thought he was up in the branches? I was sure of it. And then I could hear a baby crying. Did you see him up there? I think a couple times. It was just a dark mass from a few trees away, so it's hard to say. What did Sean think of all of this? Oh no, he had ran away already. And he knew Shadow Man was there? I told him. Why wouldn't he leave with you? Both of us together? We'd be a single target. I needed him to get away from me. You wanted Shadow Man to chase him? Aiden shakes his head once, decisively. I wanted him to chase me. How noble. It's... I don't know. 
I've always sort of felt like he was coming for me. Ever since I saw him when I was a kid, felt like he was watching me that day. I've always wondered why. Maybe we're all somewhere in line. It's just a matter of when we become the victim. I wanted to protect Sean, so I ran into the woods in a different direction. Felt like he was everywhere. The leaves in the trees, whatever was up there followed me as I ran. And then suddenly it stopped moving, but I kept running. That's when I saw him, a guy maybe a hundred yards to my left, heading right towards me through the trees. He was dodging around the trunks, jumping over the fallen logs, just barreling towards me. I could hear him yelling at me. What was he saying? Nothing intelligible. And then suddenly I was at the clearing. What, the city? The one and only. Once I got there, the guy sort of stopped. Why? He was still 50 feet back, kind of looking around the trunks at me, wouldn't let me see him completely, and wouldn't come any closer. Kept looking up into the branches. What did he look like? Old, gray hair. Long, short? I don't. He was behind the trees. And facial features? Anything stand out? Glasses? I didn't see any, but it happened so fast. Did he look like this? Omari held up a picture of Robert Myers that Ava had sent him. In it, he's wearing a button-down shirt and glasses, with a nicely trimmed gray beard matching the hair on his head. I mean, kind of. I didn't recognize him, though. Why? Um, Is that who you think? Mr. Myers? We, we don't really know. We're just wondering. I'm pretty sure it wasn't him. But he was still far away with a lot of branches and bushes in between us. And my mind wasn't, you know, taking in details that well. He didn't have nice clothes on, though. He was hunched over, kind of loping around like a scavenger. So what happened? How did you get away? Swam. I wasn't going to risk him catching me in the woods where who knows what would have happened. So I turned and ran out to the water. At least that way, if he tried anything, it wasn't out in the open. People would be able to see. Seems like that plan worked. Excuse uh, me? Excuse me! Mom? Who are you folks? Sweetie, are you okay? I'm fine, I just need to take a shower. Sorry, hi, I'm Finn and this is Omari. What are you doing here? Is that a microphone? We're doing an investigation into the Shadow Man. What are you doing talking to my underage son when I'm not around? I'm sorry, ma'am. We just had a few more questions for him. We didn't- You have no more questions for him. He is not talking to you. Not after what happened. Get inside, sweetie. Now, get off my property before I call the police. Ma'am, we didn't mean- Jeez, let's go. Okay. I just want to take a moment to say that I'm sorry we didn't get her permission before talking to Aiden. The story got ahead of us, and it was kind of messed up to be interviewing a child who'd just been through something traumatic like that without speaking to their parents first. That's completely on us. So, when it came to our next step, we felt the logical direction was to speak with Sean Hemphill, who'd been there with Aiden, but we wanted to check with his parents and make sure him speaking with us was okay first. They... I think, unsurprisingly, we're not okay with it, which shut down that avenue, but I gave them my number in case they changed their minds. Later that night, while I was otherwise occupied and away from my phone, Sean left this voicemail. Hi, uh, Finn. This is Sean Hempel. You, I, I guess, tried talking to my parents earlier. I told them I was fine with talking to you, but they didn't want me to say anything. I don't have much to add, but this is what happened. 
Aiden and I were out this morning riding our bikes. We were heading back to town when this van drove by really close to the edge of the road and made Aiden fall off his bike. When he got up, he started acting scared, like he could see something. I couldn't. I'm not sure. He kept muttering to himself about Shadow Man and then told me to run and tell the police. People joke about that shit sometimes, but we were alone in the forest, and he definitely wasn't fucking around. I don't want to leave him, but he kept insisting I go call the police. So I ran down the road until I was in the town limits, and then I called them. Once I hang up, I went back to help him, and all I found was his bike. The police showed up a few minutes later. We were going to start searching for him, but I guess uh, someone saw him getting out of the river and walking into his house. He's fine. That's all I know. I didn't see anything crazy, though. There are a few follow-up questions I would love to ask him, but I know I won't be able to. It is interesting, though, that Sean didn't see any of what Aiden described to us. And as far as I can tell, they both recounted their experiences truthfully. Crazy how perceptions can be so different, even when we're a matter of feet apart. For me, though... The only other thing on my mind that day was Robert Myers. This man seemingly fit the profile of who Shadow Man is suspected to be. He's the proper age, he's got a connection to all of the victims, and I'll add here that Aiden Lewis was also one of his third grade students the year before Robert moved away, and he was in the proper place to have gotten Zachary after moving. Now, that being said, fitting the profile and some circumstantial evidence did not make him the murderer. None of his DNA had ever been found at any of the crime scenes. Though, when it comes to that, no one else's DNA had been found at any of the crime scenes either, so him not being there doesn't exactly eliminate him, because no one's eliminated. Ava called to ask Robert if he would sit for an interview with us today. I wanted to feel him out a bit, and, you know, maybe he'd surprise me and prove his innocence. He didn't answer her, and when he finally did get back to her a few hours later... He refused the interview. He claimed he was too busy tonight to meet with us. I didn't want my preconceptions to get in the way of an impartial investigation, but the busy line just felt like an excuse. By his own words, he was only in town to check in on his mother. Hard to believe she would be what was keeping him busy all night. The most important thing to me was to investigate and see if we could find anything on Robert tying him to the killings. Our intention had been to stake out his mother's house, where he was staying, so we could start to get an idea of what he did in his free time. But with the attack on Aiden earlier in the day, the police chose to lock down the town at night, implementing an emergency curfew as they had so many times before. Public safety, they said, was most important. This would make watching Robert difficult for the next few days. Honestly, we should sneak out. How? I mean, curfew doesn't start for over an hour. If we leave now, we can just stay hidden until it's totally dark, and then we can watch Robert. He's probably just going to be home all night. You think Shadow Man's going to follow the curfew? We don't know that he's Shadow Man. And we don't know that he's not. But he's busy doing something tonight. He's probably playing Boggle with his mom. We can follow him once the curfews are over. I don't want to spend the next who knows how long cooped up inside all night. 
There's only so much research we can do online. And there's a fucking lunar eclipse tonight. I'm not watching that through the blinds on the window. Yeah, it'll be pretty dark. Sneaking around would be easier. Okay, wait. I see the recording. <laughs> You're going to sneak out, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, of course. I'm not going to pass up an opportunity to see what this town is like during a lockdown. And you planned this the whole time? Yeah, I wanted to be sure you were fine breaking curfew and not just agreeing because you thought I wanted it. If we get caught, we go to jail. And then we have a cool story. So the two of us packed up and hurried out of the motel, both silently hoping we would not end up with a cool story. We hopped in the rental car and drove to the address Ava had given us. Her family had gone to Robert's house on multiple occasions after Madison's death, so she knew where his home was located. When we pulled up to the two-story house his mother now lived in, there were two lights on, one downstairs in the hall and another in an upstairs window with the occasional flicker of a TV screen glinting off the glass. Presumably, his mother was home. We circled the block twice, unsure if she was there alone or not, but finally pulled over a few houses away. Omari was seconds away from getting out and peeking through the downstairs window when the hall light extinguished and Robert exited the front door. He made a beeline for the car parked in the driveway and zipped away down the street a moment later. He was in a rush to get somewhere, and we were determined to find out where. Tailing him was harder than I'd anticipated. This wasn't like following someone in Los Angeles where there are so many other cars around no one would ever notice you're still behind them. In Garrison, especially with a curfew about to begin, the streets were basically empty. If we followed him too closely, he would know. We had to keep a safe distance. Heading south, we followed him at times from a full block or two away until he arrived at a nondescript house with white siding and black window shutters. He pulled into the driveway and got out of the car. Whose house is this? I don't know. I'm going to pull up past here. Try to see who answers the door. It's... Ah, oh, man, he's in the way. I can't... Oh, wait, they just gave him something, whoever they are. It's small. Ah, uh, nah, he put it in his pocket now. Weird. Okay, he's going back to his car. Oh, I see. What? It was that lady. Who? Um, Kathy. Huh? The secretary? Oh, Kathleen. Oh, do you think she told him about what we realized? That seemed like a brief conversation. Yeah, because she probably knew he was coming. She was ready to give him whatever she just handed him. It's fine. We'll just... We'll figure it out. He took off, driving back the way he came originally. Another ten minutes of carefully following Robert led us to the elementary school, where we finally realized what he'd been handed. Once he parked in the empty lot, he ran to the double doors and unlocked them with no issue. Clearly... His relationship with Kathleen had come in handy for whatever he was up to. Omari and I waited across the street as the sun sunk lower in the sky. It was one thing for us to stake out his house where we wouldn't need to move again during the lockdown, but it'd be totally different having to drive across town back to his place after the curfew had set in. We didn't know what he was doing inside, or why it was taking so long, but the nearly 15 minutes he spent in there crept by. At one point, an officer drove past, missing us in our rental car we turned off, and pulled into the lot to inspect Robert's car. As the officer was looking at the license plate, Robert finally exited the building, pinning a stack of papers to his side with his elbow as he relocked the school. Him and the officer exchanged a few words we were too far away to hear, but the message was clear. Robert left immediately, while the officer stayed in the lot alone. We didn't want to drive away while the officer was still there, 
so we had to wait for him to go. After a couple minutes, he got out of the car, popped the trunk, and pulled out a pair of shoes. He slid his off and threw them in the trunk before putting the fresh pair on. Were they exercise shoes? I don't know. More breathable? Who can say? He got back in the car, and after a few more minutes, he drove off in the opposite direction Robert had. Omari and I made the calculation that Robert was likely returning the key to Kathleen, so we retraced the path we'd originally taken to get back to her house. And sure enough, when we arrived, there his car was. Apparently, he'd popped in with her for a few minutes, as he wasn't on the porch. The curfew was 11 minutes away from officially beginning, and his home was 8 minutes from her house. What do you think he's up to in there? Showing her those papers? I want to find out. Wait, what are you doing? We'll see you. Just give me one minute. Omari! <sighs> this seemed reckless. Omari was creeping up toward the house that Robert and Kathleen could come out of at any second, but then he veered off as he looked in the driver's side window of Robert's car. Instead of continuing toward one of the side windows, he rushed around to the passenger side of the car and pulled out his phone. I could see a few flashes as he took some pictures of whatever was on the front seat. And then the front door opened. Fuck, Omari, get down. Oh my god, I survived. Don't do that. You could have been caught. What was in the front seat? It was fine. I just crouched behind that little bush over there. I didn't get a chance to look at it too closely. So let's just make sure we don't lose him. He's got to be heading home at this point. He was. Back at his house, we pulled up to the curb across the street right at 9 p.m. The curfew had officially begun, and going home, for us, was no longer an option. Upstairs, the light in the room with the TV had gone out, along with the TV. It seemed likely Robert's mother had settled into bed already. The first couple of hours went by slowly. There wasn't much to see in the windows from our spot in the car. Meanwhile, Omari and I looked over the pictures he'd taken. The papers Robert had left in the car while he spoke to Kathleen were washed out from the flash in some photos, and blurry or too dark to read in others, but we had nothing better to do than work to decipher what was on them. They appeared to all be covered with parts of one long list of names and dates. The top sheet had a few extra names and dates scrawled in the margins. That was all we could make out at first. And then, Omari recognized a name. Okay... Look at this one that he wrote. Doesn't it look like it says Eugene? Yeah, I could see that. And then the date is... Oh, fuck, it's hard to... Was it April 12th, 1968? And you think that's Eugene Osborne? Shadow Man's first kill. Eugene, yeah? That's not the date he died, though. Must be his birthday, then. Okay. I can kind of see Susan Foster right below him. November 6th. Hmm. 1976? Yeah, that sounds right. Karen Cirillo, August 25th, 1980. So it's a list of all of his victims' birthdays. Nicole Taylor, May 24th, 1994. Wow, that's pretty close to mine. I'm May 10th, 94. Oh, I'll let her know. I'm sure she'll be fascinated to hear that. Uh, shut up. <laughs> and then Madison Cook, July 28th... 99, yeah. I see Zachary isn't on here at all. Well, these are all kids that went to this school. I'm assuming he just looked them up in their records. And Zachary never lived here, so his birthday isn't something they'd know. But why do you think their birthdays matter? Hmm. I'm assuming this is a list of current students in the school system. 
The dates I can make out seem like they're all from within the past 15 years or so. Yeah, my question is, why is he in such a rush to get this? Wouldn't let us interview him today because he was so busy. And this is what he was busy doing? It's honestly... It's creepy. Who needs a list of dead kids' birthdays? I mean, look at this one. Wait. Turn your phone off. What? Just do it. There's... Do you see that? Where? In his backyard. Right along the tree line. I don't. Give it a second. Oh, do you think that's... I, I don't know. He's coming toward the house. God, I wish it wasn't so fucking dark tonight. Well, you said you wanted to see the eclipse. Not like this. Should we call the police? And tell them what? We're breaking curfew to stake out a house and then Shadow Man showed up? We don't know that Shadow Man. Who the hell else would it be? What's he... He's knocking on the window. Oh my god. No. What? Whoa, wait. He's waving? What? Look at that lamp. He's going around the front. Why... Did Robert really just open the door for him? What is going on? Oh, hang on. Look at his hair. A ponytail. Interesting. Gray, though. And look at his clothes in the light. Yeah, they've seen better days. Do you think that's who Aiden was describing this morning? Oh, that could totally be the person he saw. But who the fuck is he? And how does Robert know him? I want to get a closer look. Maury, don't. I got out, too. But I was so caught up in the moment, I forgot to bring the recorder and my phone along. We crept up to the windows, trying to stay in the shadows as much as possible. Which was actually easier than I expected it to be. Turns out rural living doesn't have nearly as many lights as the urban settings I've been used to my whole life. And if the moon's out of the way, then it's almost total darkness. Peering in the same window we'd just seen the man knock on, we had a clear view of the living room and kitchen space. Inside there were only two people, Robert and the mystery man. The man was ravenously eating what had probably been Robert's dinner while Robert prepared himself a sandwich. In the light, the man looked grizzled, weathered almost, like he'd been left out in the rain a few too many times. His face was clean-shaven, but with patches of scruff he'd missed in his last trim. The faded clothes he had on were torn in some places and duct-taped together in others and his bare feet had tracked mud through the kitchen, right up to the seat he'd taken at the table. They were deep in discussion, unaware of us hovering just outside the window, shrinking away from the lights in the living room. Occasionally, if they spoke forcefully enough, Omari and I could make out a phrase or two through the glass. We heard the man ask Robert if he'd gotten a, quote, comprehensive list. Robert sat down across from him, gesturing at the papers he'd brought from the school. Together they spent the next little while poring over names and birth dates listed, each referencing a stack of books we eventually realized were almanacs. One by one, they scribbled brief notes on the pages, information we would never see. At different points, one of them would finish with a sheet and flip it over, temporarily revealing some names crossed out and occasionally one or two highlighted. It became clear they were moving down the list, eliminating children. But why? To review, Robert came to our attention because he was not only the proper age to have been committing the Shadow Man murder since they began, but he had a direct connection to every single victim from the town, and even, as improbable as it seemed, the one known victim not from the town. He lived close enough to where Zachary Scott lived at the time he was killed for it to be plausible he'd taken action there. And then just as he returned to the area, Shadow Man had been sighted again. But this time... 
there was a description of the person. A description fitting the man sitting directly across from Robert at his kitchen table. Was it possible that Shadow Man was not one person, but in fact a pair of killers? While Robert was away over the past decade, was this mystery man the one people had seen and taken as the killer terrorizing the town? And now that Robert was back, what havoc could they be planning? Neither of them spoke much during this period, but at one point Robert stood up suddenly, and the sound of his chair scraping against the linoleum cut through the glass of the window. Omari and I had been trying to keep tabs on everything, but they'd been silently working for hours at that point, and our attention had turned to other things. Twice in that time, a police car cruised down the street slowly, presumably checking for curfew breakers, and once they'd passed by, we went back to swatting the gnats and wishing for another meal. We'd left in such a rush that we missed dinner, and the time was starting to creep toward pre-dawn, when the mystery man's chair scraping brought my attention back inside. It has to be him, he said, probably louder than he'd intended, because he immediately looked up to the ceiling like he may have woken his mother. Robert looked at the sheet the other man slid toward him, nodding slightly. Even before Robert had a chance to respond, the other man was already moving. He gathered his belongings frantically, clearly ready to break the curfew for whatever he was up to. Omari and I had to act quickly. We needed to get back to the car before he came outside, and if the other man decided to leave the way he'd come, he'd stumble upon us even under the cover of darkness. With a final glance inside, I could see the other man waiting for Robert to get up from his seat. So we took our shot and ran across the open yard and got into the car, shutting the doors as quietly as possible. A moment later, Robert and the mystery man left the house and got into his car. We had no idea where they were going, or whether they'd make it without being caught by the police, but they left and started driving. And whatever they were up to, whatever trouble they would get into, we'd be right there behind them. Where do you think they're headed? Hmm. I feel like I should still be whispering. I have no idea, though. Seems like he found a name he liked. Good luck to whoever that is. It feels surreal, but we... I mean, we might be about to stop a murder. We should call the police, right? I mean, if that's what he tries. We don't know whose name it was or why he picked it. And I'd rather not draw attention to us unless he's actually doing something. I mean, look at the facts, though. Everything fits. Why else would he break curfew like this in the middle of the night? And the other guys who Aiden saw? What are the chances that both of them are together like this? We continued driving toward the western side of town, both shocked at how easy it was to get there without any police stopping us. Ahead of us, Robert didn't notice we were following him, or he didn't care, because he never made any attempt to lose us or confront us at a signal in any way. Those should have been red flags. Because a few turns later, we returned to Arrow Street, where we talked to Aiden earlier the previous day, and we realized why there were no police around the town, or why Robert didn't seem to notice us behind him. Oh my god. Oh my god, what happened? Oh, Finn. Fuck. The street was full of police cars, their lights swirling through the night and bouncing off the sides of the dozen or so houses on the street. A small crowd of people in pajamas and nightclothes had gathered at the police line as close as they could get to the front lawn of number 37 Arrow Street. Omari and I exited the car to see for ourselves what we both knew had happened. Nora Lewis stood near an officer, shaking her head as she recounted whatever she'd experienced. And there, beneath a white sheet splayed across the front lawn, was a body. 
and we knew exactly whose it was. Shadow Man had struck again. Robert and the mystery man exited their car, joining the fray. I didn't feel it was appropriate in the moment to confront them, but I kept a close eye on each of them, watching for any signs they knew more about this death than they were letting on. But ultimately, Aiden's time of death, by smoke inhalation, was officially recorded as 12.40 a.m., right at the tail end of both Omari and me watching them intently all the way across town. Neither of them had committed this crime, and if they weren't responsible for this one that matched the others almost perfectly, it made it unlikely either of them was the person who'd been terrorizing Garrison since the 1970s. Something bigger was going on here. Next time, on Strange Trails. It wasn't an accident. What are you talking about? I haven't been on the force in over a decade. But while you were... I don't blame him for it, but I can't not associate him with it. What are these people getting up to here? Strange Trails stars Matt Winton as Finn Mitchell, Dominic Kim as Omari Mason, and Ashley Every as Ava Cook. Additional performances by Brandon Martinez as Aiden Lewis, Charity Spencer as Nora Lewis, and Michael Lake as Sean Hemphill. Created, directed, and edited by Colton Woods. Script supervisor, Fernando Colazzo. Special thanks to Katie Joyce and Courtney Woods. Follow us on Instagram at Strange Trials Podcast or visit us at strangetrialspodcast.com for more info. If you like what you hear, ratings and reviews really help the show. Strange Trials will return in to be ignored. <laughs>